Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. Hey, are you ready for some football? Some fantasy football? How about some daily fantasy football? Silly questions, right? Of course you are. You're ready to talk some smack and win some cash every Sunday, at Thursday, at Monday, whenever there's football games. The Sports History Network invites you to play your daily fantasy football this season at thrivefantasy.com. Thrive Fantasy offers hundreds of thousands, millions in cash every day on NBA, MLB, PGA Golf, cricket, esports, and of course, NFL football. Every week during the 2021 NFL season, Thrive Fantasy has pool play contests and heads-up matches with prizes of all sizes, and even free play contests for real money. Sign up with Thrive Fantasy today to get a 100% match bonus on your first deposit for up to $100 in free daily fantasy football play. Visit sportshistorynetwork.com slash thrive, that's T-H-R-I-V-E, or enter promo code SHN when depositing at the cashier. Join Thrive Fantasy today, earn cash prizes, and support great shows like this at the Sports History Network. Now that's a win-win-win situation for you to kick off your own NFL season. for Lombardi Memories. A sort of takes you back in time, into January or February, to the greatest one-day spectacle in all of sports. This is the Every Other Tuesday podcast that looks back at each and every one of the 50-plus Super Bowls and tells the story of who won and why. For the fan who needs more than just a box score, this podcast goes drive-by-drive play-by-play for the most dramatic games in history. I'm your host, Tommy A. Phillips, and you can visit my website at TommyAPhillips.com where you can find all of my books. Those include Great 80s, a book that covers this Super Bowl and the next three of them as well. Today we have Super Bowl XXI, which was held on January 25th 1987, between the second-time AFC champion Denver Broncos and the first-time NFC champion New York Giants at the beautiful Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California, just a short drive up from my former home of Los Angeles. If you're looking for the full story of this 1986 season, pick up my great 80s book and you'll learn more than you ever wanted to know about that year and the rest of the 80s. As always, we have a pop quiz, 
and then homework at the end of the episode. The pop quiz question for today is, what famous catchphrase was coined for the first time at the conclusion of this game? The answer will come at the end of the podcast. After a season-opening loss to Dallas, the New York Giants had one of the most amazing runs in NFL history. They won 14 of their final 15 games. Their largest margin of loss all season was 5 points to the Seattle Seahawks. This included a 9-game winning streak to end the season. The Giants got a couple of heart-stopping victories over Minnesota and Denver later on this season, and they finished the season at 14-2 and with the number one seed in the NFC. The Giants beat San Francisco 49-3 in one of the worst moments in 49ers history. Quarterback Joe Montana was injured in the middle of an all-out route. In the NFC Championship game, The Giants won a game where the Redskins never kicked off once. Giants head coach Bill Parcells wanted the win, so Washington got the ball at the beginning of both halves. His plan worked. New York won 17-0 to advance to their first Super Bowl and first appearance in a league championship game since 1963. Quarterback Phil Sims had an amazing season, throwing for 3,487 yards and 21 touchdowns. However, he did throw for 22 interceptions and only completed 55% of his passes. His inaccuracy remained a real question mark going into the Super Bowl. Running back Joe Morris ran for 1,516 yards and 14 touchdowns, and tight end Mark Bavara was far and away Sims' favorite receiver because he caught 66 passes for just over 1,000 yards. The Giants had also one of the most frightening defenses of all time. Linebacker Lawrence Taylor had an almost unthinkable 20 and a half sacks. Defensive, defensive tackle Leonard Marshall had 12 sacks, and linebacker Carl Banks picked up another six and a half. With Taylor breathing down the neck of every quarterback, the Giants were quite the fearsome bunch. As for their opponents in the Super Bowl, the Denver Broncos played in one of the most competitive divisions in the league. They finished one game out in front of both the Chiefs and Seahawks. The Broncos started their season 6-0, then stumbled to a 5-5 home stretch. Eventually, the Broncos ended up winning the AFC West and getting the number two seed in the AFC. The New England Patriots were quite possibly a better team than the one that made the Super Bowl a year before. However, the Broncos beat them 22-17 to advance to the AFC Championship game. In that game in Cleveland, down 20-13 to 13, late in the fourth quarter, quarterback John Elway led the drive that covered 98 yards in 15 plays over a five-minute span. 
His completion to receiver Mark Jackson and kicker Rich Carlos's ex- ensuing extra point tied the game. Elway then led another drive for the game-winning field goal in overtime. The Broncos won 23-20 to win the AFC and advance to their first ever Super Bowl. Elway threw for 3,485 yards and 19 touchdowns, and he spread the ball around well. No fewer than eight players had at least 20 catches. Those included running back Gerald Wilhite, who totaled nearly 900 scrimmage yards, led the team in catches with 64, and scored eight times. Receiver Steve Watson caught 45 for just under 700 yards, and Mark Jackson caught 38 for a team-leading 738 yards. Running back Sammy Winder was the main man behind Elway, as he rushed for 789 yards and scored 14 touchdowns rushing and receiving on the season. Defensive end Rulon Jones and linebacker Carl Meckenberg anchored the defense, piling up a combined 23 sacks. The game began with the Broncos getting the ball first. Starting at the 22, Elway scrambled for 10 yards on the game's first play. Three plays later, Elway fired long for Jackson, who hauled it in for a first down at the Giants' 39. Winder caught a pass for five more and then ran for another three yards, but he was stuffed on third down. Carlos came out and made a 48-yard field goal, which tied the Super Bowl record set by the Chiefs' Jan Stenerud in Super Bowl IV, and it was 3 nothing Broncos. The Giants responded with a fantastic drive. Sims started it with a pass to receiver Lionel Manuel for 17 yards. He then threw to Bavaro for 8 before handing off to Morris who ran for 12 more. Morris ran for another first down, or he would have, but not for Bavaro getting flagged for holding, so that came back. Morris made up some of it by running for 8 yards in the next play, and then Sims found receiver Stacy Robinson for a first down. Next, Sims went to Bavaro for an 18-yard gain down to the 6. But of all receivers that catch the touchdown pass, it was little-used tight end Zeke Mawat, who had only 10 catches all year. He caught the 6-yard touchdown, and with kicker Raul Allegre's extra point, New York took a 7-3 lead. Elway started the next drive with a 14-yard pass to Walker. He then found tight end Orson Mobley for an 11-yard game. A screen to Winder pick up another nine. Then the Giants shot themselves in the foot. First, a late-hit penalty. Then an unsportsmanlike conduct flag on Taylor for throwing the flag. Denver moved all the way down to the six as both fouls were enforced. Elway hit receiver Vance Johnson to get down to the four. Then he, Elway ran a draw right up the middle for a touchdown to put the Broncos up 
at the end of the one quarter, tying the record for the most first quarter points in Super Bowl history with 17 combined. The Giants got only one first down before having the punt. Starting at his own 20, Elway threw a bomb for Vance Johnson, completing the pass for a 54-yard gain. Next, he went with a little screen the winder, who got six. He found Mobley for a first down, then running back Gene Lang got two touches for seven yards. Elway hits running back Steve Sewell for seven yards all the way down to the one. That's when the Giants made a goal line stand even greater than the one the 49ers made five years prior. In Super Bowl 16, that is. First, the Giants stuffed Elway on another draw play trying to go up the middle, making him lose a yard. Running back Gerald Wilhite followed with a run for no game. Finally, Winder tried a toss play, running it in on a toss, but Giants linebacker Carl Banks hit him for a loss, and the Broncos were forced to try a 24-yard field goal. But Carlos pushed it to the right. It was the shortest missed field goal in Super Bowl history, 24 yards, a mark that would only last two years, but still an embarrassing moment. The Broncos were one yard away from being up by 10. Now they were only up by three. The Giants got one first down after a nine-yard pass to Robinson and a plow straight ahead by Morris. They were then forced to punt. Elway got the ball back deep in his own end, and on the first day he got play, he got brought down by Marshall. Next, he tried finding tight end Clarence K, but his pass was rolled incomplete. On third down, Elway made the Cardinals' sin of spinning back into his own end zone while trying to avoid a sack. If he hadn't spun, he would have been sacked near the one. But by going back into the end zone, he allowed defensive end George Martin the chance to sack him for a safety. That closed the gap to 10-9. The Giants figured to have great field position after the free kick, but defensive back Tom Flynn misplayed the ball on the free kick, and they ended up starting at their own 24. Then they went three and out, and Denver got the ball back at their own 38. With little time before the half, it was time for the clutch drive master Elway to go to work. He fired to Watson for a first down at the Giants' 32. Then he threw a little subo pass to Wilhite to pick up another 11 yards. The Broncos got down inside the 20, but with time running out, head coach Dan Reeves sent on Carlos. He missed again, wide to the right. The Broncos should have been leading 16-7 during the salute to Hollywood's 100th anniversary halftime show, but instead they led by just one. Coming out of the second half, running back Lee Roussan took back the opening kickoff back to the 37-yard line for the Giants. Morris ran for three. Running back Maurice Carthon caught a pass for four more. And then Morris ran for two more on third down, setting up fourth and one. This 
This is where Parcells decided to try a fake punt. He had backup quarterback Jeff Rudlitz go under center, and he took the ball in a quarterback sneak and picked up the first down. This was the spark that ignited the Giants' explosion in the second half. Sims threw to Morris for 12 yards, then he hit Roussan for another first down inside the 20. Morris got three and a toss, then Sims threw to Carthon for another yard. Facing third down, Sims fired over the middle to Bavaro for a 13-yard touchdown, and the Giants took a 16-0 lead. The Giants' defense forced a three and out. Receiver Phil McConkie returned the punt 17 yards to the Denver 36. Morris ran for gains of 7 and 9 yards. Then Sims found, fired the manual for a first down at the 12. Morris did get stopped by the Denver defense a yard side the end zone. But the Giants got a 21-yard Allegra field goal to extend their lead to 9 points. Another three and out for Denver gave the Giants the ball back at their own 32. Sims found Manuel on second down for a first down beyond midfield. Morris took a handoff for a short gain, and it looked like he was taking another one on the next play. Only this time it was a fake. He flipped it back to Sims, and then Sims completed the flea flicker with a 44-yard pass to McConkie all the way down to the one. Morris scored on the next play, and the Giants extended their advantage to 26-10, entering the fourth quarter. Elway was in panic mode now, and he threw an interception to defensive back Elvis Patterson in desperation. Sims then threw a long pass to Robinson to get a first down at the Denver 16. The Broncos got called for pass interference to give New York another first down. Then after Morris took it down to the one, Sims got sacked by defensive end Freddie Gilbert of the Broncos. On Sims' next pass, he tried throwing the Bavaro, but the pass ended up being deflected and landing right in the arms of McConkie. The six-yard touchdown gave New York a 33-10 lead, and the Giants could taste the Gatorade now. Elway had the pass on nearly every play now. He found Johnson and Jackson for first downs, then he hit Wilhite for five more yards. Jackson caught a pass off a deflection, and that was a first down. Sewell got a rare carry. He took it down for first down at the 26. Elway scrambled for another first down at the 15. But Banks tackled Sewell on a reverse for a five-yard loss, and the Broncos ended up in a fourth-and-five situation a couple of plays later. Since there were no two-point conversions in the league at the time, the Broncos were down by four scores. This is why, when their drive stalled at the New York 10, Reeves opted to go for the field goal instead of going for it on fourth down. Carlos's 29-yard kick cut the deficit to 20 points. Three touchdowns, yes, but it would have been three scores regardless. Even if they had scored a touchdown, they'd still be down by 16, and there's no two-point conversions at the time. 
The Giants easily recovered the onside kick, and then they easily pounded the ball right down the field. Roussan ran for a first down. Then Sims scrambled with the ball all the way down to the two. Running back Otis Anderson got the honor of scoring a two-yard touchdown. He'd turn up in another Super Bowl still to come. We'll hear about him in a, in a couple months here. Allegre missed the extra point wide left, but it didn't matter. New York now led 39-13. The only drama left was over who would get doused by the Gatorade bucket. The first bucket went to Sims, who was named Super Bowl MVP after completing 22 of 25 yard passes for 268 yards and three touchdowns with no interceptions for a passer rating of 150.9 and the best completion percentage in NFL Super Bowl history. Next, it was Harry Carson's time to get Parcells with the Gatorade bucket and he got him good. Then some other teammates went and gave Parcells another bucket. The Gatorade tradition had been born this season, and it's still stuck around all these years. Elway threw a garbage touchdown to Johnson from 47 yards out, but the only thing that did was ensure that this game would end up as a scorigami. What's a scorigami? Created by John Boyce, it is a final score of a football game that has never happened before. To this day, the score of 39-20 has never happened in an NFL game since Super Bowl XXI. After the game, Phil Simms was asked what he was going to do after he won the Super Bowl. His response? I'm going to Disney World. This commercial became standard in every Super Bowl since. That's the answer to today's pop quiz question. Sometimes the commercial is edited to I'm going to Disneyland for the West Coast crowd. Sims did not miss on a single pass in the second half of this game, so he definitely deserved his trip down Main Street, USA. I gave the second best player award to Leonard Marshall. He had two sacks and was in Elway's face all game long. George Martin could have easily gotten in as well for his sack for a safety. And really any player in the defense, especially Lawrence Taylor, could have deserved this honor. The Giants defense was really amazing and they proved it in this game. As for best player in the losing team, I gotta go with Vance Johnson. He caught five passes for 121 yards and made catches of 54 and 47 yards. Out of six targets, he only failed to catch one. He scored a touchdown on an ugly day for the Broncos. His performance was certainly noteworthy. The least valuable player is not Elway. No, he threw for two or 304 yards and a touchdown, and he ran for a touchdown too. He played well enough for his team to have a chance. Instead, I'm going to give it to Carlos. If Carlos nails those two field goals, one an easy one and the other a super easy one, the Broncos go to the half with a seven-point lead and all the momentum. Instead, they lost the lead immediately coming out of the locker room, and they never recover. There's no excuse for either miss by Carlos. Those are easy kicks to make.
the best player you've never heard of? How about tight end Zeke Moat? He had a six-yard touchdown catch early in the game. He had only 10 catches all season, but his one catch in this game was as big as it gets. He deserves recognition for his small but crucial role in this win. The biggest play of this game was the fake punt by Jeff Rutledge. If Rutledge doesn't get that first down on that quarterback sneak, the Broncos get the ball in New York territory. Instead, he did, and the Giants went down and scored a touchdown. That's a turning point right there. Parcells had the guts to call it, and it worked spectacularly. I'm a big believer in fortune favors the bold, and it certainly did there. The biggest play no one remembers is Elway getting stuffed on a first down draw play from the one in the first half. Remember, because Carlos missed the chip shot, that play ended up being worth seven points. Who knows what happens if Denver would have led 17-7? Who knows what would have happened had they led 17-9 if the fake punt had failed? Denver was left forever asking those questions. And sadly, linebacker Tom Jackson, who later joined ESPN, went out with a loss in his final game. Finally, here's some homework for you. Go pick up Hard Nose, the story of the 1986 Giants by Jim Burt with Hank Gola. It's a story of this Giants team told from the perspective of defensive tackle, in this case, Jim Burt. Great stuff there. Then go ahead and get Sims to McConkie, Blood, Sweat, and Gatorade by McConkie, Sims, and Dick Sapp. It tells the story of the rise to fame of these two players, who eventually hooked up in Super Bowl XXI for the mo two of the most memorable plays of the game. The Giants were world champions for the first time since 1956. It was their fifth league championship in franchise history. They weren't, they weren't done quite yet. Four years later, the Giants would be back in the big game against a very different opponent. But Denver wasn't going away either. They'd appear in two of the next three Super Bowls. Next time, we have one of the most heartwarming stories in Super Bowl history. Quarterback Doug Williams of the Washington Redskins tries to become the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl. How about doing so by scoring 35 points in a single quarter? And watch as Super Bowl records fall by the wayside. That's coming up in two weeks. If you'd like to read about it now, hop on over to TommyAPhillips.com. Pick up my book, Great 80s, A Journey Through Another Amazing Decade in Pro Football History. Until then, this is Tommy A. Phillips, signing off. So long. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. 
Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.